Well, hey everybody, it is new series day here at Momentum and Momentum Online. As we get rolling with this brand new series, Anchored in Hope, let me do some welcomes first and foremost. Hey, let me say welcome to all of you who are watching here in the San Diego area. We love you guys. We love seeing you in person on Sundays as well. Just to remind you, Sabbath Sunday is now behind us. I hope you're well rested and we're back in action. October 3rd at Montevideo, 10 a.m. Let me say hello to all of you who are watching from all over the, the country in different parts and places and states, uh, those of you who are staying in touch with our story here at Momentum, uh, we want you to know you are a part of the family. We love you guys. We love hearing from you guys. We love when you comment and pop up in the feed and all that stuff, and we miss you deeply. Uh, but I want to talk to you about where we're going with this series, Anchored in Hope. The series comes from a simple verse in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews 6, 9, the author simply says this, we have this hope, that's hope in Jesus, as what? An anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Now, here's the deal. We're starting this series and it is a family series. It's about how we do life and family and Jesus in relationship in the world today. Now, if you've looked outside your window or popped through the news or scrolled through a feed, you've noticed that the world is more uncertain and unpredictable than it has ever been. There is so much going on making life and faith and family hard to do. You're sending your kids into a world that is like no other time in history. We're trying to do family when there's less and less examples of how to do family and less and less. Let me say it this way. It's harder and harder to do family well in our culture. And here's our hope. Our hope is that our faith in Jesus would serve as an anchor for us, an anchor for our families, and, and a firm and secure ground that we can do family from. Now, I'll tell you this too. 15 to 25 and you're watching Momentum Online or you podcast with us regularly, you don't have to tune this one out for two reasons. Number one, this is about family, but it's also about Jesus and relationships. So everything you're going to hear us say is about your faith and about helping you maintain healthy relationships. I promise you that. And here's, here's a question I'd ask you as you get going. When is the best time to prepare for the family you'd like to have in your future? Well, duh, the answer is now. So this might be more important for our 15 to 25-year-olds than it is for anybody else tuning in to this Anchored in Hope in series. So uh, here's my family story. Family for me began on February 20th, 2012. And it was the day that my first daughter was born. And I remember some funny things about this day, and it's crazy because this is coming up on 10 years ago for me. So I'm a 10-year vet in the parenting game, but I remember the day that this photo was taken very vividly. I remember that day we prayed a bunch, not because we were so holy and we had so much figured out and we were perfect godly parents. We prayed because we were scared and we needed God. I remember uh, Britt had a long pregnancy all the way through uh, the summer months and she just wanted that baby to come out when winter rolled around. She was ready to be done, but Lucy was just hanging in there and so there was an induction date scheduled on February 20th and, and so that was when the day was approaching and that morning we both woke up with 
those anxious feelings. We were going to become parents that day by God's grace. And I remember we just prayed before the car, prayed on the way in, prayed as we checked into the hospital, prayed our way through the experience. And God was so faithful in it. I remember on this day that it is not an accident that I am wearing a t-shirt with the world-class Chicago Bears on it. Same t-shirt for all three of my children because the Bible says, train a child in the way that they should go and in the future they won't depart from it. And I wanted these kids to know if something ever happened to me, they could look back at these photos and it would be a clue for them. Um, I remember something else very significant this day. I was terrified up to this point in my life to hold a baby. I had probably held a child one other time in my life and I made my friends put pillows around me because I was totally uh, uncomfortable with the idea of just holding such a fragile child and uh, that fear followed me into this delivery room and we had seen Lucy and had given birth and you know that time later had my family's filtering through and people are coming to see her and meet her for the first time and I remember my dad he's actually standing behind me in this photo stops and he goes Matt have you held her yet? And I said, no, I, you know, I, I've been putting it off. And he goes, you need to hold her. And, and he gave me just enough confidence in that moment to take Lucien in my arms that time, for the first time that time. And I can remember in an instant that feeling that some of you might have felt when you held your children for the first time. I did not care about anything else in the world other than being a good husband to Brit and a good father to this child. I got in it. I instantly got where dorky dads come from. I instantly got tall socks and the New Balance Monarchs because you care so little about everything else when you hold a child for the first time, when you hold your child for the first time. I remember this day. The other thing I remember is we stay a couple nights in the hospital and the next morning they start loading up our stuff to go and I can never forget it was that feeling you go into the hospital a family of two and we were coming out a family of three and they say all right go get the car make sure your car seat's in there and fitted right and everything's good and pull up and we'll bring Britt and Lucy down in a wheelchair and we'll load you up and I remember that door shuts and I'm going oh my gosh like we have to parent this child now, and I don't know what to do. I remember vividly, they, we had flowers from friends and balloons in the car, but they gave us zero instructions. There were no manuals. There were no pamphlets. There were no ABCs. There were no outlines. There were no diagrams. From that point forward, car door shuts, and no one had given us instructions. Now listen, I hate putting IKEA furniture together just as much as the next person. You open up that big white pamphlet and the guy with no face kind of shows you what's going on and to Ikea's credit I'll tell you something they give you a pamphlet the pamphlet shows you what it's supposed to be like when it's done and it gives you a set of steps and how you're supposed to get there but what I remember from that hospital is they didn't do that but here's the good news today this is where Jesus gives us the way forward in his life he not only gives us our goal as we do family and parenting, He shows us how to get there. It comes up in Mark chapter 12. I'll give you a little context, but we'll get into the meat and potatoes really quickly. It says in Mark 12, 28, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. 
Noticing Jesus had given this group of people a good answer, he asked him, hey Jesus, of all of the commandments, which is most important? Now, this man did not have good intentions on this day. That's a whole other story. We'll save it for another day. This is an arrogant man. He wants to test Jesus. Let me just give you a hint in your walk with Jesus. You are never to test him. It never goes well for people when they want to put Jesus on trial. Trust me on that one. Nonetheless, Jesus answers this man. He says, what's the most important commandment? Jesus quotes a passage from the Old Testament and says this. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Highlight it, circle it, underline it, put stars around it, arrows to it, save it for when you're a parent. Here's the words. This is your goal as a parent. Uh, you go to the next one for me, Luke. It's simply this. My goal is to raise a child that will love the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love their neighbor as themselves. That's your goal. That is your, that is your end zone. At the very end of the assembly process, the child that loves the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loves their neighbor as themselves, that is your goal as a Jesus follower who is a parent. That is your goal in family. Can I tell you something? You can teach your kid all there is to know about STEM and science and all the tech and, and computer programming, and you can set them up for a bright career in the future, but if they don't have this, they have nothing. You can make sure they have good grades and the right people around them and opportunities. You can send them to private lessons. They could star on their team and get the starting position. But if they don't have this, they have nothing. This is our goal. Now, time out. Uh, let me give you something. I told you there's something for everyone. 15 to 25-year-olds, get this. Circle it in your Bible. If you go back to the most important commandment, Luke, it's the second one, beautiful. Um, you could just circle this. Um, the, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God. Pause, time out, circle it. The Love the Lord your God. 15 to 25 year olds, here's where I see the most young people missing the faith. I see people fall in love with Christian culture and miss the God that's behind it. They fall in love with what they see on the YouTube video and the crowd and the pop and circumstance and they miss the God who's behind it. They fall in love with Christian culture and stages and lights and platform and brand and they miss the God who's behind it. We are to love the Lord, our God, not Christian culture. All of that stuff will fade, but your God will not. Now, back to the parenting idea here. Your goal is to raise a kid who will love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, how do you do that, Matt? You said Jesus is not going to just tell me where to go, but he's going to show me how to get there. You are absolutely right. In this passage, we not only get the end game, we get how we arrive there. How do you, how do you get a kid who will love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and love their neighbor as himself? Here's what you do. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and you love your neighbor as yourself. To accomplish my goal, 
I must love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and love my neighbor as myself. Here's why. Great faith is caught, not taught. Great faith is caught, not taught. I did youth ministry for over 15 years. I know all the statistics about kids walking away from faith in college and coming back when they want to have kids and who's getting faith and who's losing faith and generations and all that stuff. Can I tell you something? I watched more kids lose their faith in their home than they did out in culture. Because they were watching their parents looking for something real, looking for something authentic, looking for the ways of Jesus to be put on display for them, and they did not see that. They were watching and faith was not caught there. But here's the good news. Instilling faith in your children is as simple as living a healthy and vibrant faith. That's it. You want a kid who would love God, you start by loving God, when Jesus wanted to pour into some disciples and turn them into God followers with a faith like his own, he didn't give them a series of lectures. He said the words, follow me, be with me, be beside me, walk with me, hear me, be in my presence. And through that, you will see and develop a faith like mine. The same is true today. Great faith is caught, not taught. You want a faith in your children, it begins with living it out yourself. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let's talk about what that looks like. Loving the Lord your God with all of your heart. What does it look like to love the Lord my God with all my heart? Well, it begins with the word authority. It begins with Jesus saying, the Lord your God. It begins with your relationship to the authority of God. Is my heart fully committed to God or is my heart parsed out in pieces and God is one of them? There's a difference. The idea here is leaning in to God with the entirety of your being. The idea here is where you stand in reference to the authority of Jesus and his word. Now, we're on camera, so you can't see this, but I, I could show, show you by setting this down. There are people who stand above the Word of God. In their heart, in their mind, here's me, here's my ideas, here's my vision, here's what I've been through, and that stuff takes precedence over God's Word. Yeah, I'll, I'll go to it when I need a little help or I'm trying to figure something out, but in large part, I'm Lord and I stand over Jesus, His Word, and its authority. But the difference is, there are people who stand under that word. And what he says, and what he wants, and how he says to treat people, and where he says I go, and what he says I do, it is truly the authority in my life. The question is, which one are you? Now, here's where it gets tricky. See, it's hard to, un it's hard to talk through lordship and not have it be passively dismissed. See, no one, no one watching today, no one, no one around the faith would go, if I said, hey, who's Lord, Jesus or you? I'm like, well, duh, Jesus. Everyone would say Jesus. You have to do the hard work of introspection. You have to do the hard work of looking at those inner places in your life. And here's where the battle is fought. It is fought in our priorities and in silent selection, obedience. Let me tell you what I mean. Loving the Lord my God 
with all my heart. It means he is my priority. As a matter of fact, in this text, that, that man who asked Jesus the question says, of all the commandments, which is the priority? Which one is top? Which one is protos was the word? Which is the priority? Here's a question. Does Jesus win over your priorities? Your vacations? Your free time? Your finances? Your vocation? The places you go? The things you do? What you watch? Does Jesus win over your preferences? Are your priorities what you want to do, where you want to go, what you've been through, the pain you'd like to avoid, inconveniences you don't really want to mess with, or, or, or is Jesus the priority? Does he come first? Because there's a difference. The other battleground for lordship is in our silent selection. Maybe you've heard of the Thomas Jefferson Bible. He was an amazing founding father. He wasn't so shiny as a Jesus follower. And Thomas Jefferson is known for actually cutting parts and pieces out of the Bible that he didn't agree with and leaving in the parts that he liked. And the question is like, who would do something like that? And the answer? Us. When we silently select the parts and pieces of our faith, okay, I'll lean into this commandment, and I like when Jesus says this about blessing, and I like the time that I can be sure that he's going to be there for me if I go through something, but all this stuff about Lord, all this stuff about follow, all this stuff about he is truth, I don't really know about that stuff. We silently select the things of God like they're a buffet, and that is not loving the Lord our God with all our heart. The key word is all. Think of it like this. If I only select parts and pieces of my wife to love, do I really love her with all my heart? If I'm like, hey, I love these three things that you do for me and these pleasant mannerisms of you, but I haven't embraced all of you, do I really love her? The answer is no. To love the Lord your God with all your heart is to wrap your arms around the entirety of Jesus and his word. Let's talk about loving the Lord your God with all your soul. Now, here's what you got to do. You got to begin by getting this word soul right. If you grew up watching cartoons like I watched, there was Tom and Jerry. And there's, there's Tom, and, and he would often battle it out with this. See, we didn't have Yu-Gi-Oh! and Dragon Ball Z and these epic cartoons with elaborate plots. We got a cat and a mouse who chased one another. There's probably 400 episodes of this cat and this mouse chasing one another in different forms and formats. But every now and then, Tom would try some scheme to get Jerry, and he would lose his life in the process. And then there would be this picture that looks something like this, and it would be Tom's soul raising out of his body and going up into heaven. And so for some of us, soul could kind of mean like the ghost version of you. But that's not what the Bible does when it uses this word soul. It actually, if you did the hard work in the Greek language, looks like this. It's it's this word soul, this would be what it looked like in your Greek text, which is suxe, which is where we literally translate the word psyche. Your soul is the inside you. It is the seat of your heart, your dreams, your will, personality, your desire, your cares and concerns. That's your soul. To love the Lord my God with all my soul is allowing the deepest parts of my emotional life to be healed and transformed by God. It is doing the hard work 
of allowing my emotional world to be transformed by Jesus. There's this passage in Hebrews that my counselors got me hip to. We've talked about this before at Momentum. But you might have heard this. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Now, pastors typically enjoy parking it right here and telling you that all your sins are going to wreck up your faith. But we skip by this. There are things that hinder. There are things that are not sins that will hinder my faith. There are things that are not sins that will shape my family culture whether I want them to or not. Guys, I don't have them with me, but on Sunday at Momentum, I'm having two big suitcases. And they are to tell you that every single one of us leaves our family or family of origin with two bags in hand. Every single one of us will leave our family with some baggage. The way you handle conflict, feelings of abandonment, things that were said to you, things that were not said to you, what you watch dad do to mom, what you watch mom do to dad, the way they interacted with one another, your fears. You were taught that you're never going to be enough. You were taught that you're never going to have enough. It doesn't matter what the baggage is. It is unlimited in its nature. Here's the two facts about your baggage. Number one, you do have some. And you can either... Bring it to Jesus or pass it to your children. That is it. You will either take your baggage to Jesus and work through it with Him for redemption and healing and transformation, or you're handing it on to the ones who come after you. There are only two ways about it. And this is why over and over and over and over, as your pastor, I lovingly tell you, get the counseling you need. How do you know if you need it? If you've ever wondered if you could benefit from counseling, you can benefit from counseling. 25-year-olds, hear me. Somebody asked me, what is my best marriage advice? And it was, get counseling. That's it. I mean, I've heard a lot of cool things about parenting, but let me tell you something. The sooner you do it, the easier it is to deal with everything. And it is a heck of a lot easier to go visit a counselor when you don't have children in tow. That's what it looks like. To love the Lord your God with all your soul. Let's talk about our minds. Loving the Lord your God with all your mind. My parents were in town this past week. They spent 10 days with us. They are retired now. We had a blast. A special thank you to all of you guys who loved on my parents. But I'll tell you something about my parents. We got here and for 10 days we did not stop eating. I mean, I got them from the airport up to Bearback Grill, and I taught, told them about the little matchstick fries they have. We went from there to the Costco Business Center and picked up the picanha steaks, and we were cooking those. My mom's birthday was the next day, and so they had to go to TJ's Oyster Bar for tacos and get the fish tacos, and it was a non-stop feast. We made brisket. We made smash burgers. We chopped up some of the brisket and put it in the smash burgers, and 10 days later, y'all, I feel terrible, bad, because I have filled myself for 10 days with junk, delicious junk, but junk nonetheless. Can I tell you something about loving the Lord your God with all your mind? It is paying attention to your mental diet. It is paying attention to what you are feeding your mind on a day-to-day basis. Can I tell you something? Garbage in, garbage out is a thing. You are what you eat is a thing, and it matters. What you feed your mind 
matters. To love the Lord my God with all of my mind is to win the battle between my ears. It is to pay attention what am I feeding my mind. And it is fighting off anything that is not of Christ. Paul says it so well in 2 Corinthians 10. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. We take our thoughts. What he's saying here is the easiest place to fight for your mind is before stuff ever gets in. When thoughts and ideas and pretensions and arguments that are taking your mind off Christ are around you, you set up a fortress and you play some defense. You guard your mind. I got to tell you a story about a friend of mine. At jiu-jitsu, I have a friend named Robert, and he is a strong Republican. And he is, he's got the Instagram feed to prove it. But Robert is also a very thoughtful and responsible Jesus follower. He's a combat veteran, so like many of you, there's so much about what he sees that bothers him and it's troubling and it's upsetting. And we were talking through it this week, and he said, Matt, I, I had to do something. I had to completely shut off my Instagram intake. He goes, I even agree with what all these posts are saying. But when I fill my mind with this, I get so upset that I can't be the person that I'm supposed to be and do the things that I'm supposed to do. Guys, be a Robert. What I love there is in a very real way, he placed Jesus above his politics and not his politics above Jesus. And in a very real way, he observed things. Things he even believes in were causing his mind to drift away from Christ and therefore he deemed those things not beneficial. That's what it looks like to love God with all your mind. Last one, we'll wrap on this, okay? Loving the Lord your God with all your strength. What the heck does that mean? Is that like those guys that used to rip a phone book in half and say, Jesus Christ, and tell you their testimony? Is that like you get to the gym, you rep a set of bench press, and then you get down on a knee like Tebow and thank the Lord for the bench in the gym? No, no, no. Here, here's the key word, loving the Lord your God with all your strength. The key word is presence. It is about physically showing up at the things of God. You know that phrase, you ever had somebody be like, I'll be there in spirit. You know what that means? Absolutely nothing. When you're moving, you don't need people who will be there in spirit. When you're hurting, you don't need people to be there in spirit. You, when you're hurting, you're moving, when you need help, when you need support and people around you, you need people who will be there with their presence. This is a powerful principle of love. 1 John 3.18 says, Dear children, let us not love with words and speech, but with actions and in truth. My presence makes my love visible. Here's what I know. Everything I love, I show up for. My kids could be anywhere on the globe, and if they needed me, I would show up for them. My kids could be anywhere in any position in a bad situation that they got themselves into and I'm showing up for them because I love them. 
slightly less critical or crucial, I love the Chicago Bears. I've showed up at Soldier Field. I love friends. I've showed up at their moving days. I love tacos. I've showed up at TJ's Oyster Bar. What we love, we show up for. And here's the powerful thing. When I show up, I make my love visible and my faith believable. When I'm present in the word, when I'm present in prayer, when I'm present for my family, when I'm present for the people around me, when I'm present at my community group, when I'm present on a Sunday, I am making my love of God visible to those around me and believable to those around me. Our kids do not need more lectures, more words, or more sermons. They need to see more faith and action in their home. We show up because it makes love visible and faith believable. And we show up, you guys, because Jesus first showed up for us. 1 John 4, 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. How did God make his love visible? He wasn't content to sit in heaven and say, hey guys, just so you know, I love you and be sure you behave. No, he made his love visible by showing up. He showed up to set you free. He showed up to offer you new life. He showed up to die for you. He showed up so you could be welcomed into his family. He showed up when you didn't deserve it. He showed up with you in mind. He showed up so you could find new life and live in him. And he's a God who's worth showing up for today. What is our goal as parents? It is to raise kids who will love God with all of their heart, soul, mind, strength, and love their neighbors as themselves. How do you raise kids like that? You love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself. I love you guys. Way more Anchored in Hope to Come. Thanks for joining us for the launch of this amazing series. Have a great week. Peace.